Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. This hour number two of the program. This hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. So uh, a video is um, doing the rounds on Twitter. Uh, the video evidence of mm. me uh, hitting myself in the face with the microphone today. Yeah, all of a sudden, Dan Riccio is trending alongside Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. Oh, well, I never <laughs> thought I'd see the day. <laughs> but um, so I was trying to, like, you know, move my, uh, I don't know, like, you're pulling pull your sleeve up. I was up. pulling my sleeve up. Dan was getting ready for a take, and he's like, I'm going to pull my sleeves up yeah. and fire off this take. And I, my hand slipped, and I hit the microphone, and it hit me in the face. Very embarrassing moment. <laughs> the mic came out of nowhere. And now, thanks to Dom, it's documented forever on the Twitterverse, at Sportsnet650. And Dom, as always, adds a little twist to it. Yes. There's a little remix <laughs> at the end, too. Uh, all right. Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV. Thanks for this as always, Donnie. Uh, what's what's one of the biggest bloopers of your career? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I threw out the F-bomb the very first time I was on the air. No way. Oh, yeah. yeah, like I messed up, swore, then realized I had to turn my mic off after I'd um, finished what I was supposed to say, then, then I swore uh, before I turn my mic off. So there's that. No, my, my biggest is it's very politically incorrect. So please bear with me here, but it's kind of infamous around town. It goes back to the, uh, early nineties when Randorf and Shorty were, uh, working with me at sports page. I called the mighty ducks, the mighty dykes. And, uh, right. I don't know how it would go over today, but, uh, it got a lot of attention and, uh, and uh, I don't know if I'm better for it or worse for it, but, uh, uh, it's just it, it's, it it took a big bad left turn, and I I feel bad about it to this day. But that was definitely the biggest. Uh, that's the one that got the most attention, anyway. Yeah, I mean that, that one. That's a tough one to beat. And, and the good thing about that term, though, is I mean you know it it's side of the road. I mean you're just referring to what happens on the side of the road when they yeah. dig out dikes so they can you know allow the. There you go. That's that's all yeah, we're talking about here, really. That was what I was thinking. The yeah. problem is, is that again. <laughs> I, I, okay, 2023, politically incorrect. I, I get all that. I uh, okay. It was on, I believe, a Friday night. Whatever night it was, it doesn't matter. But back in those days, we had cameramen working in studio as opposed to robotics. Right. So we had right. cameramen in studio, and the cameramen before every show—not before every show, but I'd say 98 percent of them—they would go outside in the parking lot and do the. Vancouver thing, the BC thing, right. yeah. it, it, involving rolling papers, etc. <laughs> so they, if I dropped my pen, it was the funniest thing in the world. Well, I said what I said. They didn't stop laughing. I'm blaming them, by the way. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't stop laughing, and neither did I. I laughed for half an hour straight to the whole show. Thank God nothing serious happened that night. Like, I didn't have to report on a passing or an illness or anything like that, but... So it kind of went, it took a big left turn, and uh, I don't know how well it would go over today, but uh, at the time, it was pretty funny, and it was the blooper that I remember more than any other one. Uh, we all have bloopers somewhere. So. Yeah, we all got lots yeah. of them, but I will oh, say, though, the, 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 
you know, the sports page days, you you guys, mm-hmm. what you guys did with the bloopers was completely embrace them, and it became part of the show, right? I mean, the bloopers, yeah. the funny, the, the jokes, the laughs that would kind of create, and they kind of become an inside joke. You'd be like, oh, that blooper, you use that same word a couple, you know, a couple weeks down the road or something, something would happen. It became such a part of that entire sports page lore. It was like the mistakes were fun. Like, you know, the bloopers were part of the the charm of that show, and I think that's what made it so special, the sports page days. Well, yeah, and, and we certainly made enough of them to keep feasting. To keep feasting on, but I, I think when you're you're in broadcasting, you're in somebody's house every day. Is uh, you know, people want to know you're human, and if you screw up, and if you can laugh at your screw up, I think it kind of makes makes things better. And let's be honest here, it's a little easier in the realm of sports than it would be in news. You know, I mean, you're, you're trying to put a puck in a net or get a ball over a line. You can you can have some fun. And I think, you know, I think by and large, most people who are involved in sports have a pretty good sense of humor. And they want to know you're human and that you can make mistakes. And maybe even more importantly, you can laugh at them. And I think I, I don't think it's a. Uh, uh, I, I, pardon me, I think it's a good idea to not shy away from them, have some fun with it instead of worrying about having made a mistake. I want to blow some smoke here for a second, Donnie, but I think this is absolutely true. I think in Canada, it was really sports page, you guys, that really created that, hey, sports can be fun. It's This is more entertainment than it is, you know, a, a guy being serious, reading some sports, making the odd kind of dad joke or whatever and moving on. Because this was also during when, before ESPN took off. And when ESPN took off, they had a similar thing going on with Keith Over and Dan Patrick they were constantly joking making fun of each other and I think that created the new era and I think you guys were at the forefront of it here in Canada and I think at the same time we saw some of it in the U.S. and that was the beginning because I think now we're kind of seeing that be embraced a lot more and it wasn't always the case when it came to sports coverage. Yeah and I thank thank you for that son I appreciate it and I agree with it I think that you know Paul our boss Paul Carson kind of and and he was a big goofball too God bless him yeah. Um, you know, like he was a big goofball too, and he just let us let not not let us do what we wanted, but you know, made sure that we realized that we were talking about sports. And again, I go back to the lines about you know what 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 are these guys doing? They're, I know they're doing it at the pro level, but there's the, the root of sports is fun. Let's have fun with it. It, it should be fun. And, and at, at that time, we wanted to be different than everybody, so we really put an emphasis on that sort of goofball type humor that. Most guys in most locker rooms and and, and women, uh, you know, they know all about. So I think to, to, to emphasize that was a real smart move. Don Taylor, our guest. Uh, so uh, as much as sports is fun, for a lot of fan bases over the weekend, uh, it was more about yelling about the officiating in their respective team's game than it was <laughs> about the fun of enjoying an actual playoff game with your favorite team in it. Um, it. It seems as though, Donnie, right now we're kind of in that stage again. It feels like an annual conversation. Is NHL officiating the worst it's ever been? Or is this just, you know, hey, we're all watching playoff games with incredible intensity and we're seeing every single missed call that there is? I think every year is tied for last place in, in terms of like yes, the worst exactly. officiating ever. It, it just seems to be an annual thing. And I have all the respect in the world for officials and what, what they have to do and and all, all of that. You just want to see consistency. I'm not so sure we've seen a whole lot of that. Um, it's a weird year because I think I think the uh, uh, complaining about officials has increased, but it's also strange that I think fighting's increased. I don't have the numbers in front of me, guys, but 
uh, fighting's increased as well. I mean, Stamkos and Matthews had a fight the other night. First ever fight between else. 60 goal scorers. I, I mean, who would have guessed that? Like, like it was the old thing is that, well, okay, shelve the fighting for the playoffs because, you know, if you get the extra two, that could cost your team the series, or you could get hurt, and that could cost you the series. But I think these guys have forgotten all, all about that, and the emotions have gotten the best of them, and it makes for pretty entertaining hockey. So that's something else that the referees have to deal with. But it seems a little bit more inconsistent this time around. It does, and at the same time, I just kind of wonder if it's just, you know, we're paying more attention to it in the playoffs and there's more passion on the line for it, but it, it certainly seems like every single series, though, the coaches are irate about what's going on, and especially with what's happening with Tampa and Toronto, you have John Cooper and, and Sheldon Keefe kind of trading barbs, and we oftentimes see the coaches and their gamesmanship, but it seems like there's another level of the gamesmanship by the coaches in the first round this year? Because every single series, Donnie, it seems like one a coach is taking a shot at either the other team or the officiating. Yeah, and, and, and oftentimes I think, you know, it's, it's, I think that what you just said there, to have John Cooper comment on something like, I know he was commenting about Keith, but like he is the most composed guy in the world. I'm, I'm, not, I'm surprised he just didn't say no comment, but he went after him. And it's kind of awesome. I, I don't know if it's the storyline the NHL wants, but there is a lot of emotion there, and there's nothing wrong with that when it comes to the entertainment value of sports. Again, I'll just go back to what I, was, I said before. As long as it's consistent, I, I'm okay. You just don't want it to be consistently, uh, consistently bad. I, I think, guys, if you, if you charted it, and I'm too lazy and not smart enough to do that sort of thing, but I think you'd find out, I know this is cliche, that things even out. That, that usually usually things even out, and the better team nine times out of nine point nine times out of ten ends up ends up winning. But I get it; it's emotional. There's so much on the line, and I get why guys would complain. Well, it's uh, you say things even up, and you know everybody's talking about that high stick or non-high stick in the Edmonton game, just before the overtime winner in Game Three, and then Game Four they get a couple of favorable uh, penalty calls that uh, that helped them get back in that game when they were down three zero. So you're right, Donnie. It always it yeah. always comes back around. Yeah, yeah. Assuming I, I, there's I, enough time I, I, for it to come back around in a in a playoff series. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's just it. Uh, yeah, again, somebody smarter than me is probably doing a chart like that. But then <laughs> even that's open to opinion. You know, what's you know you know what's evening up, and you know you know should that was that a good call or a bad call? But I think by and large, common sense tells you that things usually even up. You know, one of the things about um, you know we we, we look at. Uh, Certainly Edmonton right now, and they get that big comeback win last night. And I, I think they were the better team in, in games one and three, Donnie. And last night they were probably the second best team, but they found a way to win. So much of these playoff is just about, you know, finding ways to win. But it ultimately comes down to your star players getting it done. And right now, maybe it's not Connor McDavid, but Leon Dreisaitl is – I mean, you look at his points per game, he's up there with the greatest of all time in what he does in the playoffs. Yeah, and leading the NHL playoff scoring right now with uh, nine points. And, uh, and look, I mean, so many people seem to be disappointed with David. And I know five on five, his numbers aren't outstanding, but he does have six points in the four games. And that's what would uh, frighten me if I was uh, Los Angeles is I just don't think McDavid has been anywhere near as good as he can be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just a matter of time. But, uh, yeah, Dreisaitl is, 
there's, there's just more of a subtlety to his game, and maybe you don't notice him as much. But my God, the point totals uh, sure are there. And I know people, you know, who um, love McDavid, and we all do. But you point out that because they're paying so much, you know, especially with Deneau, uh they're paying so much attention to McDavid that leaves more room for Drysaddle. But not every player could take advantage of it the way he has. No, uh, absolutely. And, you know, looking at just what's going on in that Edmonton series between the LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, what do we make of just the overall goaltending issues the Edmonton Oilers are having? Like, do you look at that team and, and say to yourself, they are a contender? Or like, what do you make of the Edmonton Oilers and, and what they can accomplish? Because I just think they're a goaltender short this year, really. Yeah, it's hard not to agree with that, Sat. Um, you know, Skinner looked like he might might be the answer, kind of out of nowhere, but just the size and the athleticism. And then he has that hiccup, and I don't think he's been great in, the, in this series. But I, I, I do think this, I, I totally agree with you. They are a goaltender away. You could argue that with uh, with the Leafs as well, although maybe Samsonov's been better than a lot of people think. I do think they come back with Skinner, and, and, I, and I say this because, um, number one, I, you could argue he deserves it, given how he played later in the season. But also I felt there was a real element of luck with some of the saves Campbell made uh, the other night. And, again, he let in one goal, you know, in, in how many, 26, 27 shots. So that's really good. But I just thought there was a real element of luck, uh, you know, maybe highlighted or definitely highlighted by the Arvidsson breakaway, where he kind of just you know, stuck out the pad there and Arvidsson wasn't able to raise the puck. So I, I think they go – my guess is they come back with Skinner, which means, of course, that they'll start Campbell, folks. You can write that down now and and, uh, and and count on it. But I just have a feeling they'll go come back with him. And, and, and Sad, you're, you're bang on. We've been banging this drum for a long time. Such a good team, but just one position short. Uh, we got a text in from Marcus and Gibsons. Uh, can you ask Donnie uh, <laughs> uh, what he thinks about the Toronto series if you want to set him off? Love you, Donnie. Uh, do, okay. <laughs> you know, no, look, look. listen, I worked for Sportsnet for 13 years. I'm on this show all the time. Uh, you know, I have a lot of loyalty towards Sportsnet, but I just was upset. <laughs> I was upset when they cut, and I know it was on another station. But my emotions got the best of me, and it was more of an anti-Toronto thing. And, and it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm more against the coverage from Toronto than the city. It's a, when they cut away, I, I was watching Sportsnet Pacific, and they cut away from the Jets and Knights overtime game on Saturday. In the middle of the overtime, to cover the Leafs coming out of the tunnel. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, could, I guess I could understand it if they had dropped the puck. But they hadn't even started the anthems yet. Yeah. So, and I know it was on another station, but it just, I, I just can't help but think what, what the reaction be if it was the other way around. Or what the, for all the people who told me to calm down on Twitter on Saturday, like what their <laughs> reaction would have been if that was the Canucks. What? If it was the Canucks in the middle of an overtime. And again, I know it's on another channel. I do know how to operate a television set in the year 2023. <laughs> but I just, it was just about what that said about how they feel about the rest of the country. So that's, that's all that was uh, about. It was emotional. I had some fun on, on, on Twitter. And uh, absolutely, Marcus and Gibbons, Gibson's bang on. That's something that set me off. And uh, uh, hats off to him for bringing that up. 
Well, I mean, we had a... So, you know how our pregame's been on TV this year for some of the regional yeah. games? Yeah. yeah. And the second yeah, to last... Uh, the second to last one, we, we yeah. were supposed the to... The penultimate join, one. The penultimate one. Dan loves to use, use the word penultimate. But <laughs> the penultimate good. one, um, it was the Boston... The, we, were, we were supposed to join in progress after the Boston Bruins game ended. Well, the Bruins game yeah. ends, and it's like, you know, 6.35 or whatever, five minutes into our time. Okay, well, I'm sure they're going to switch over to us now. Yeah. And they took the entire Boston Bruins jerseys off our back thing for like 20 <laughs> minutes and we didn't even get on so i'm like wait like i don't, I don't understand like how, how are you showing that like i don't yeah, get it yeah. how can you cut away from that and not cut away from something else so i mean I, i'm with you sometimes we're all perplexed yeah yeah and i've been in that moment, moment too working for sports fan it's like you, you, is this saying something about me like you don't want us to go on like, like is that why like i'm like is this better than what i we have to offer up like come on guys so you start to take it personal but who knows what they're thinking uh, sometimes. I don't know. But, you know, the paycheck still came. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what do you find more fun in the postseason? Watching a good series between two teams or, like, hate watching a team, like the Leafs, for instance? Oh, that's a great question. Um, oh, that's, that, that's I'm gonna, again, every time I'm on this show, I, you guys come up with stuff that I'm going to steal. Uh I just I think watching a good a, a good series because if I'm hate watching the Leafs, there's always a, still a chance they're going to win. So I would I wouldn't like that. So I just just watching some good 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 hockey and by and large, guys, it's it's been so great and it's you know what you know what's tough to do is to watch these series and watch this great hockey, bad officiating, uh, questionable decisions by networks or not, and just think to yourself. Shouldn't Vancouver be involved in this one of these days? Wouldn't that yeah. be great? Uh, Seattle's involved. Come on. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we're all waiting for. But hey, at, at least um, you know there's quite a few people enjoying the Abbotsford Canucks right now. It was pretty cool seeing the uh, the scenes down there in Abbey for uh, for the AHL team on uh, Friday night. I guess it was they swept the series. They they're gonna play against the the Calgary Wranglers coming up here in this second round series of the of the Calder Cup playoffs. You know, it, it was tough for Abby, I guess, when the Abbotsford Heat were around. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, what a it, difference! It, it looks yeah. like the market has really embraced having the the Canucks farm team there. Well, you know what? Like old guys like me can rip into you know the year twenty twenty three and current times and how times used to be better back in the day. But here is the thing with with social media and media being so powerful now and so accessible now, like. You know, we know so much about the prospects the Canucks have. I mean, they should they should have more. That's another thing we know. But we know so much about that farm team. You know, we we know a lot more about the prospects in junior hockey, and it it I think just it creates more interest in the sport. And I don't think there would be if it was back in the day where there wasn't social media, where there wasn't such widespread media. Period. I don't think we would care as much. And it's it's just great to see a city like that become or its hockey scene become so so vibrant it was it's it's pretty special donnie uh we always appreciate the time thanks for this always fun guys thanks a lot there he is uh the great the legend don taylor joins us every monday on canuck central yeah no that was good uh, good stuff from donnie as always yeah yep. uh donnie and donnie 10 to noon donnie and donnie and donnie donnie and dolly 10 to noon check tv monday through friday um, we'll get back in on the NHL playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs with Frank Saravalli here in a few moments. 
But uh, we do have some breaking news, Sat. Yeah, can we do some breaking NFL news? We can do some breaking NFL oh, news. Here we go. It is draft week. And uh, for uh, the old listeners as well that have been around here for a long time, this is actual breaking news. Real breaking news. Real breaking news. It is official. Aaron Rodgers is off to the New York J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. And uh, producer Dom is is uh, ecstatic. Doing the Will Ferrell wedding crasher fist (laughs) bump in the air. I saw it. I saw saw the trade pop up on Twitter, and I looked over, and I saw uh, Dom celebrating like a madman. Yeah. It's a good thing all the NFL guys still have blue checks. Yes. <laughs> Adam Schefter. Well, and the thing is, the blue checks, you don't know. You got to still click on it. I'm like, when I first saw it, I'm like, Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter. Let me click. Blue check is the sign of a mark usually now. Yes. It's like, I don't trust this I don't know if person. I trust this guy. And then I go, I'm like, oh, 10.3 million followers. Okay. So I think it's actually yeah. Adam Schefter. So I think this one's real. Um, so the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. The 15th overall pick mm-hmm. and a 2023rd fifth round pick. The Packers get the 13th overall pick this year, so they move up two spots. So uh, a little in the bit of a pick swap there, yeah. Pick swap in the first round this year. They get a 2023 second, which mm-hmm. is number 42 overall this year, a sixth round pick, so it's a high second, yeah. a sixth round pick, number 207, and a conditional 2024 second round pick that could become a first rounder if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays. So, so could it's likely to become a first rounder. So a first and a second for Aaron Rodgers and a pick swap. Yeah. That's pretty good value for uh, how old is Aaron Rodgers now? Uh, he's old as dirt. Yeah. He's 38 now? 30. <sighs> Gotta be. I don't know if he's that old, but... Um, no? Well, maybe All he right. is. He's 39. He's even older. Yeah. <laughs> 39. A first and a second, potentially, for 39-year-old quarterback? Godspeed. 40 in December, uh, Aaron Rodgers yeah. is going to be. Yeah. Can you describe this in hockey terms? Brandon in Vancouver texting in. How would that be in hockey terms, this this trade? I uh, I like Sidney Crosby, so I don't want to compare Aaron Rodgers to Sidney Crosby. No, no, it can't be Sidney Crosby. Um, but Rodgers is like that level of quarterback, is he not? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, it, yeah, I, I guess it would be like... Guy um, in the later stages of his career, still great when he wants to be, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, Rodgers is coming off a pretty mediocre season. Mediocre, yes, why I don't want to... Say those guys are, you know, they have some pretty good years. Malkin, somewhat a mediocre year for his standards. It's yep. like giving up a first and a second yep. and a third for Yevgeny Malkin. Yeah. But even Malkin's played better than the way, like, Rodgers had a really down year last year. Yeah. Um, Rodgers, yeah, he was. It's like Eric, Car- it's like giving up a first and a second for Eric Carlson. Even that, maybe that's even. Yeah. Carlson might win the Norris this year. It's hard to find a clean comparable, but think of a aging star player who's good, but not great, and you're giving up you know, a first, a second to yeah. acquire. And you're paying him a lot of money. A lot of money. One of the highest paid players in the league. Got pretty much uh, as much as the Seahawks did for Russell Wilson. We got two firsts for Russell Wilson. Yeah. Plus they got, I mean, they got a couple of players too, They right? got a couple of players. That helped them out. Still got more, but I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a great return. Uh, really good return for the Green Bay Packers, who I guess are uh, in the uh, quarterback conversation for this Thursday's NFL draft. Yeah. Oh, it does. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. I, I don't think Jordan Love is, is going to be the guy. I like Jordan Love. Really? Yeah, I liked him in his draft year. I was a big Jordan Love guy in his draft year. It's been so long. It's been 84 years since he was drafted. Well, it's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Alistair and Victoria, Rogers to the Jets is giving Sundin to Vancouver vibes. At least Ooh. the Canucks didn't give up picks to get Sundin. Yeah. Uh, Tyler true. says, does this mean Rogers has to come out of the darkness wearing Bane's headgear? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, he's got, he's got to come out of the darkness wearing uh, Fireman Ed headgear. Yeah, Ryan O'Reilly <laughs> to the Leafs. Yeah, Curtis Olin said. Uh, no, I mean, uh, Ryan O'Reilly's really good still. and um, But O'Reilly was never the level of Aaron Rodgers. No. Although they both have one championship. So. Yeah, and O'Reilly's a bit of a rental. It's more about a guy that you know you're going to have on your roster, and he's got a lot of cap space committed for the next few years. A lot of cap space. Yeah. But you know what? Like, I, if it works out, if the Jets win a Super Bowl, it doesn't matter. So the None of uh, it matters. The Jets' skill position players after acquiring Aaron Rodgers. They have Aaron Rodgers at QB, Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Mecole Hardman, Corey Davis as their four wideouts, Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama as their tight ends, Brees Hall, Michael Carter at running back. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. And they traded Elijah Moore to the Browns. I think they traded the Browns pick. I think it was right. the 42nd overall pick. I think it's the Browns pick they traded. That's a pretty good pick. Not bad. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's like a very late first, high second. So it's a good pick. You know, it's a, it's a high pick. A high second is a is a very good asset in the NFL. Uh, all right. So Aaron Rodgers, officially yeah. a New York Jets. And I would say um, a first-round pick in the NFL typically has more value than a first-round pick in the NHL. Yes. In terms of trade. Generally, yeah, uh, they're seen as real big, high commodity assets, even a late first round pick to everybody except the LA Rams. Yeah, this one's good. Rogers to the Jets in hockey terms is the equivalent of Messier coming to Van, but in a trade instead of a free agent signing. Ah, that's a good one. That's good. That's good. Uh, all right, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Frank Saravalli joins us on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We bring in our next guest. It is Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, our NHL insider. Every Monday on the show, Frank is a presentation of Angry Otter Liquor. Thanks for this, Frank. How, how are you? I'm good. Finally, a brand that I can connect with. Yes. <laughs> Many of us, especially during the uh, the, the playoffs. And I, I, I feel like maybe a, a few coaches and GMs are with the way officiating has gone uh, in, the, in the NHL this year. Yeah, it's it's really been intense. And I feel like it's almost universal. So I had to stop and ask myself this morning, like, is the officiating actually worse this year? Or is this – did we just forget that this is the same conversation we have every – spring yeah i feel like it's actually worse this year well it feels like it's it's led to a couple of like direct goals i can understand you know a couple of missed calls here and there that always happens but it, it's they're they're all ending up in the net aren't they it, yeah exactly like the two penalties felino takes end up in in the back of the net yesterday for the for the dallas stars now you can make the argument while well, minnesota like just go kill the penalty right uh good teams find a way you can always make that kind of an argument but you know th there's been the other ones right the mayfield high stick that was missed that leads directly to an overtime winner the velarde one was big for for edmonton even the Braden point goal that should have been a goal that where the whistle was blown early it just 
when, when it happens directly before a goal where there's a miss on a goal or directly before a goal, I think that's when it, it really takes a turn for the worse. Yeah, and it reaches a fever pitch. And I think, look, um, there's two things at play here. One, um, in order, it's 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 sort of like anything else. In order for there to be a problem, the NHL ha- actually has to admit that it's a problem, or t- in order to find a solution, I should say, they have to admit that it's an issue. And I've covered this league for a long, long time. I I have never heard them say that it's an issue. I've never heard them cop to the fact that it could be better. Instead. The common refrain that we always get is these are the best officials in the world or they get 99.8% of the calls right. And this isn't an individual criticism or anything else. It's just that I feel like, you know, even if the officials aren't any better in any other pro sport, there's A, way more transparency and B, way more communication when it comes to talking about big moments in games whether it's, you know, a sort of formal review process, whether it's a statement, whether it's a pool reporter, whatever it is, there's a better way to do it than the NHL has been doing it to communicate directly with fan bases. It turns the temperature down. And I think the longer you go on sitting here on a throne, essentially saying, you know, move along, the worse it's going to get. And I think that's you know, repeatedly been the NHL's issue that they shoot themselves in the foot, have an honest conversation. Well, and, you know, in terms of what the NHL can really do about officiating, I'm, I'm not sure much can be done outside of revamping, um, you know, what it takes to become an NHL official. And even then, I, for all the talk that we have, we criticize officiating, but can anything actually be done outside of reviews and how we handle them? I don't think so. And I think even the review process in some ways leaves a lot to be desired. Has it not gone like, too far almost? Like we watch reviews and it's like half the time oh. we're not even sure what's going to happen anyway. So what's the point of doing it all this, doing all this? It's not even that. It's also the idea that, you know, we're using reviews now to to look for ticky tack things that have no real impact on the play. It's like a bunch like, of lawyers the- are on the bench trying to uh, <laughs> go after somebody, right? Yeah, no one needs more lawyers. We've got plenty of those. <laughs> um, but it's like it's think about the Kings Oiler game and the supposed high stick. Did it touch the stick or did it not? You know, behind the net. I don't really know one way or the other, and I don't care because. It, it had nothing to do with the puck ending up in the net. Yep. And you could say, well, oh, it, you know, the play would have been blown dead. Video review wasn't instituted to, to look. It's a pruder-like quality from six different angles of did it touch the stick or did it not? It was designed so that we don't miss the absolutely egregious, you know, this guy is 10 foot offside or that puck hit the netting on a shot that should have been blown. Like something that is abundantly clear and not nitpicking. And like we've lost the plot. Frank Saravalli, our guest. Um, I do wonder um, if, do you think LA blew the series last night? Like, I know that like it's tied at two, but McDavid hasn't really woke up. You had them on the ropes at three, nothing in that game. I, I don't know if LA, you know, get, can, can recover from that. I think it's a really good question. Uh, I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. All I was thinking this morning was just how absolutely incredibly lucky the Oilers are that they're not on the ropes. Yeah. You know, coming back from the three, nothing deficit is one thing, but then 
to be able to find the extra gear when also down 4-3 again and the goal from Evander Kane was such a critical moment um and then obviously to break through an OT but to go back all square like I know that the Oilers have actually you know played really well and you could say if you're looking at it um on a pure you know tip the scales of who's played a better series to this point I think the Oilers would probably have some percentage margin that they're tipping the scales in their direction, but it doesn't really mean anything. Um, the fact that they got back to level ground, though, I, I think you're right. It feels like we're reaching that moment again, and, and maybe we saw that as they overcame the 3 nothing deficit is, like, these guys aren't going to be denied. And they certainly didn't flinch. So if if you're the Kings, like... And I, I have this same discussion with the Maple Leafs as they heading head into their game tonight. If you don't put a skate to the throat of the Lightning tonight, much in the same way the Kings weren't able to do against the Oilers, then you know you've left the door open for someone to waltz right through. Well, I think that absolutely has happened. And you know, I did want to ask you about that whole Dubas thing between the Lightning and the uh, Leafs, and him going at it with what what seemed to be maybe a Leafs fan and some Lightning fans. And there's some video about it. Now, what do you make of all that? Some people have said that Dubas actually does you know trash talk a lot. Is that a show of a guy who's under a lot of stress? Is that something he shouldn't be doing? Or what do you make of it? Because I think it's kind of funny when you, anytime you see somebody going you know, toe to toe with fans and everything like that. But where where do you come out on that entire controversy if there is such a thing around it? I don't see it as controversial. Like these guys are humans. Um, they make mistakes. Fans call them on their mistakes. Um, they're passionate. You see the passion come through and, and it explodes through sometimes. And it's also like, it's hard to really judge because while I did see another angle that, appeared to show Kyle Dubas tossing a few heated expletives at fans. I don't have any context to it, meaning I don't know what was said to him first. And so there are certain things. And I think, you know what, we've seen it in other sports really recently, whether it's a guy on the Clippers confronting a fan or, or things that, um, you know, players have reacted to, you know, without, boards or, or glass separating them from fans that I think it's okay. Like you don't have license and permission to say whatever it is that you want just because you bought a ticket. There are still ramifications. I think in the end, everyone would hope that Kyle Dubas would, um, you know, be able to hold his tongue and, and remain calm and, and professional. But Sometimes the emotion of all that gets the best of you. And I believe the videos occurred at the moment in time that the Leafs forced overtime. They hadn't even won. So, you know, they're fired up. They're in a game that they probably shouldn't have been. Um, and they force OT with the guy that he just traded for that's making an enormous, you know, positive impact for your team. So he's excited. I, but I don't view it as controversial. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there are times where, 
you know, it can get over the line, but you know, if if a fan's fan's willing to to give it, you got to be willing to to take it. Uh, in in a lot of cases, I saw some people be like, "This is not conduct becoming of a general manager. No other general manager in the league ever acts this way." I'm like, "All right, okay." Yeah, no one's ever thrown a chair in a press box and hit a press box attendant. Never. I've I've never seen a general manager lose it in a press box before. It's never happened. Never. <laughs> never once. Um, but but on Ryan O'Reilly, you know, there there was quite a few you know trade deadline acquisitions having success and and others that that aren't but since you know they've moved him to to that third line center spot um it feels like ryan o'reilly is uh really adding that extra little bit that the leafs were hoping for and he's been one of the better trade deadline acquisitions we've seen yeah he has for sure um and i think when you look at that game the other night he's exactly what you acquired him to be you're trying to change the mix of your team for one that hasn't gotten the job done in the playoffs and you need it. Like I go back to the Brendan Shanahan line, you need killers. Mm -hmm. And I think the Leafs had sort of privately determined at least based on their actions that they didn't have enough killers in place in order to, to get that job done. And so they bring in someone that's won a Conn Smythe trophy. You know, they add and surround the Leafs roster with other guys that have grit and bite you know, Luke Shen has been there before and won. You know, you've seen the fights and tussles that he's been in. He's not backing down from anyone. You know, little uh, subtle acquisitions, McCabe, Lafferty, etc. Those guys aren't, they're in the battle. They're, they're fighting for it. And so I, I think when you look at Ryan O'Reilly, like, you know, this is the exact moment. These are the moments that you're saying, we traded all those picks for all that future capital for the right now to help get us over the hump because I don't, I actually don't agree with Sheldon Keefe's, you know, thought process that that was the game that the Leafs would have lost in the past. I mean, they might have, but by all accounts, any team should have lost in that, you know, sort of setup with how much they were outplayed. Mm-hmm. I think the real test for the Leafs is tonight in that I, I mentioned part of it, like they've had many opportunities in past playoff series. And especially last year, you have a chance to go up three, one in the series against the lightning. And they weren't able to do it last year. And then they had another chance in game six and overtime to end the series. And they couldn't, they just couldn't step on them. Same thing. They opened the door in game seven again and lose on home ice. These are the moments that are going to define this core for a long time and if it takes adding someone like Ryan O'Reilly to the mix in order to do that, then so be it. Turning our sights over for a minute to that New York Islanders uh, Carolina Hurricane series, and uh, I'm sure you know that Canucks fans are very, very aware of everything Bull Horvat is doing and not doing, but I wanted to kind of ask you about just the overall sentiment around the Islanders because when that trade was made, there was always, you know, there was obviously some excitement from, from Islanders fans, and, you know, he got off to a decent start. They make the playoffs, everything seems okay. But now they're down 3-1. Bull Horvat has one goal, and Islanders fans are irate about everything going on with that team. What do you make of the temperature around Horvat and the Islanders, even though just making the playoffs seemed like a big accomplishment for a team that seemed to be far out of it when they made that trade? Why would it be considered an accomplishment when a couple teams around you punted on their season entirely? Yeah, fair enough. I mean... I, I said it before, like, Lou Lamorello should be buying Brian McClellan a case of wine and sending it to Washington. <laughs> like, they bowed out. The Detroit Red Wings, 
they sold off pieces. You have the Sabres who are vaguely sort of kind of in the mix, you know, and of course the Sens were, were hanging around a little bit, but I don't think anyone ever really considered the Sens to be an authentic playoff candidate. And the only other teams in the mix were the Panthers and the Pens. So it was three teams for two spots. Like your odds are pretty good. So an accomplishment to make the playoffs, like, come on. Um, I've been saying for a while, and, and I saw that the Islanders were a trendy upset pick because everyone's saying, oh, Sorokin, like, this is a guy that you don't want to go up against in the playoffs. And, you know, look at Carolina. They can't score. They're missing their scores. And then now Tara Vining goes down, and everyone's saying, oh, like, Carolina's in trouble. And I don't have Carolina penciled in to go super far based on the injuries. Like, I think they're probably going to lose next round to whichever team comes out of the Hudson River rivalry looking like New York at the moment. But that said, the Islanders are a completely average team in the NHL, like utterly average team. And I don't know what you can hang your hat on. They are like just good enough outside of goal at everything and just bad enough at everything to, to really be stuck in neutral. And my, my larger concern for the Islanders moving forward, um, is the term on the contracts, the age of players, and the fact that look at all these other teams in the mix. Like Buffalo, that team is going to be a beast of the East in two seasons. The Sens, they're on the ascent. The Red Wings, same thing. Who knows what a revamped Washington team with nine free agents is going to look like in the fall. What about Pittsburgh? I mean, they're probably not, they're not going to the bottom anytime soon. So if you're the Islanders, like, you got in, great. But where's your path to A, being a contender, and B, you know, even staying in the mix next year? Yeah, it's, um, with all those commitments that they have, it's even tough to see where they're going to get better going into into next season. And um, it's it's There's tough. no room. Yeah, there's no room for them to make any extra moves. They're, they're out of assets after the trades they made for Horvat and everything else. Is Lou safe? He shouldn't be. Yeah. Like if, if anyone is really calling it like it is and for whatever reason, as well respected as he is, as you know, an 80 year old general manager and full marks to him in his hall of fame career, we, anyone in any other position would be openly speculated about in terms of their job security and the moves made. Cause this wasn't a double down or a triple down. It was a quadruple down yeah. then with the Bo Horvat deal. And so I just I don't see the I don't see the path for this team to be a contender. I really don't. Yeah, it's I think they're worse off than a lot of other teams. In the East it's it's um it's tough to see with so many teams like even the Devils just, you know, opening their window for now, right? And uh, the Rangers don't look to be going anywhere anytime soon. It's it's going to be a tough road ahead for the New York Like Islanders. I would rather take over the Penguins right now than take over the Islanders if I was a prospective general manager candidate. You have more flexibility. With the Penguins roster, I'd say. You at least have a star. Yeah. yeah. A couple stars. Like, Latang is not all that far off from a Norris level of play when he's been healthy. Crosby had a, a really good season still. Still got Jake. I, I just, I don't see it on the island. I don't. They've got the goalie and little else. Um, Jack Eichel played really well for the the Vegas Golden Knights in the last two games. Now, he only, he, you know, he had a good season, but, you know, 66 points. It was just okay. It was just okay. 
it's start, for ten million bucks. It, it, it's starting to feel like maybe that we're starting to see the best version of Jack Eichel. Do you think that could sort of um, change the balance of who could come out of the West? Too Not early yet. to say. I mean, I I think seeing his impact has been a real positive development because I was saying, you know, this season, I, I thought he was the most disappointing $10 million skater in the league. And that's a nod to Sergei Bobrovsky. Wow. I mean, I just, I, I haven't seen him live up to the contract. Like he's had one really good season. Yeah. And even that, it's like, it's not the 110, 125 point player that a lot of people expected him to be. Does he have the talent? Sure. Does he have the drive? I think so. But what, it can't just be injuries that are holding him back. He's still under a point per game this year. His career high in goals is 36. Like, for a 10, you know, eight year, uh, $80 million player. Mm hmm. I think it's been a real disappointment, but that said, he also hasn't for the most part through the vast chunk of his career, 375 out of the 475 games he's played have been in a situation where he wasn't properly surrounded with talent this year. He gets his first ever taste of the playoffs and he's looked good and he's been really impactful. I think the bigger question is instead of, can the the Golden Knights carry this over to, you know, potentially getting out of the West? It should be, can Jack Eichel carry this over into his game for next season? Frank, we always appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Uh, there is Frank Saravalli always joining us uh, here on Canuck Central every single Monday. And Frank Saravalli on Sports at 650 was brought to you by Angry Otter Liquor, your game day destination. Visit their 28 locations from Vancouver to Kamloops. And uh, tonight, a four-game slate sat. That's uh, got... Uh, quite a few tasty matchups as uh it's a game four in a series we'll see which ones end up at 2-2 yeah because they're all 2-1 and uh which ones will end up with the series on the brink of elimination yeah and soapy asked us asked us a question earlier do you think the kings and Oilers series is going seven it has a feeling of a seven game series they're tied at 2-2 right now i think the kings blew their chance in this series. Yeah, I think they blew their chance to win. I can still see it going seven. Yeah. I, I'd say go seven. I think the Kings maybe pull one more mm. out. I think that one goes seven. I still think the Oilers win. Kings played their best game of the series last night and lost it. Yeah, well, they shouldn't have. Yeah. It's but kind of a weird series. Like, you, you lose yeah. a game that you should win in a series, t that tends to really be a bit of a nail in the coffin. The Oilers blew two games that they should have won. Well, and series. that's why I think it does end up going seven. Right. Just because, you know, it goes the... You know, it allows them to get to that stage. Um, of of the rest of these series, how many will go seven? I think the Tampa Toronto one's gonna go seven too. That kind of feels like a seven game series as well, doesn't it? Like I think Tampa, I think they tie it tonight. Right. And then it probably drags to seven. Tampa was by far the better team in game three. And they lost. And they lost. Um but And Point uh, looks to be playing tonight. Yep. Point's going to be in. It uh, looks like Hedman will probably be back in. I mean, he played the other night, so... Doesn't look like Sternak's coming back, though. That guy's a warrior. 
He's going to stay yeah. in as long as he possibly can. Viking on skates, man. I don't. Uh, I, I think the Golden Knights probably wrap it up with the Jets. That Josh Morrissey injury is it's, too it's, much. It's huge. Now, one thing could happen, and we see this sometimes, where a big injury happens. And you're like, oh, man, these guys are out of it, and then they'll just rally and win a game. So I could see them winning this one. You rally back. But it's going to be hard for them, I think, to get through the series. I don't like their chances to begin with. I, I do think they've acquitted. I, I think their team game has been better than I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, I didn't see it from Winnipeg. And in the playoffs so far, it has been good. But losing Morrissey is just too much. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. There's a four-game slate. You can hear some on Sportsnet 650. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You've been listening to Canuck Central.